This podcast is an abbreviated version of the worship service at Emmanuel Lutheran Church on September 18th, 2022. The order of worship will be a hymn, the scriptures, followed by the sermon, prayers, and a closing hymn. first reading is from the book of Jeremiah, the first chapter. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. This is the word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
The second reading is from Romans, the third chapter. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 22nd chapter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Then they seized him and led him away, Jesus, that is, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sin. It's a loaded word. But today, I'd like to share some of my thoughts mingled with a few of the Forgiving Challenge author Zach Sender's thoughts and a few others, and dive into what sin really means. Some of it may be uncomfortable to hear, but sometimes the truth hurts a bit. As we mentioned at the beginning of worship today, we live in a culture where we have become addicted to being offended, and one of the most offensive things you could say to someone is that they are a sinner. 
We live in a world that likes to accept and affirm all decisions and choices, when in reality, every single one of us is a sinner. You've heard it said, you're perfect the way you are. Maybe you've even said those words to someone else. But are you really being truthful with that person? We may think it's going to make them feel better, but in reality, we are all sinful. And no matter what we do, we will never be perfect. None of us can attain the perfect standards that God has set out for us. I'm not okay with the things I've done in the past, and you shouldn't be either. Now, that's not to say that we dwell on the past and all that we've done wrong. But to truly experience God's freedom, you have to deal with those broken, messy, and even the worst parts of your story. We've also heard it said, love the sinner, not the sin. But how many times do we judge others by what they've done wrong or that may not be held to our standards? That too is sinful. And the consequence of sin is separation from God. But we don't have to remain separated. We all want to be liked, accepted, and loved. We want our actions and words to be approved of by others. We all want approval from someone. Maybe it's your boss at work, a neighbor, your spouse, or maybe even someone here at church. We say to ourselves, if only they would tell me that I've got what it takes, then everything would change. We try so hard to get that acceptance and approval to do something, to say something, to prove something to someone. The driving motivation is to escape a self-inflicted prison of insecurity. And we need someone to do something or say something that will get us out. What I want you to hear today is that there's only one person whose approval counts, and he's already declared it to you. Jesus says, I want you. The only one who has the power to give us true approval has already given it to us fully and freely. Martin Luther wrote, all people have been plunged into sin by the devil, and only Jesus can lead us out. Our unbelief isn't Jesus's fault. The guilt is ours. If we don't believe, then we're stuck in our own sins. You should believe and confess this all of your life. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You must admit, too, that you are a part of this world, but your sins are paid for. You are unable to pay for your own sins. The apostles, no matter how good they were or how much they suffered in the name of Christ, they too could not pay for their own sins. There are no exceptions. Therefore, don't listen to your own thoughts. Listen to God's word. It promises forgiveness of sins to anyone who believes that Christ carried the sins of the world, the whole world. Did you hear that? Jesus didn't miss any of it. He carried all the sins of the world from the beginning of time. Therefore, he carried your sins too, and he offers his grace to you. So, how do we start the process of freedom from sin that God so desperately wants us to receive? In order to answer that question, let's take a look at our readings for today. 
Our second reading from Romans speaks loudly of our world today. All the world is under sin. None is righteous, not one. And yet sin is considered an archaic topic in our, social, in our secular society. It's not hard to guess why. Immorality is something done against oneself. Crime is something done against society or an individual. But sin is against God. Since modern culture is essentially atheistic, sin has become a meaningless term. From the beginning, since Adam and Eve's fall, people have hidden from God. But God sent his son to seek and to save the lost. All have gone astray, and in God's sight, none are right. Paul cited Bible passages that show the extent of our corruption, from not doing good to the words we speak to the killing of others. There's no measure of sin that matters more than another. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. As Jesus taught, written in Mark 7, 21, from within, out of the heart, come all sorts of evil. Verse 15 of Romans reads, their feet are swift to shed blood. During the 20th century, over 160 million people lost their lives in wars. And according to the late Professor R.J. Rummel, governments worldwide killed an additional 262 million people. The root problem is that humans are often practical atheists, even when they profess belief in God. They choose against God's will and show no fear for it. Choosing against God is sin. No fear of God leads to sin. And sin causes us to be prisoners, held hostage, separated from God. Oh, if only every mouth could be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. Our first reading from Jeremiah takes a look at being accountable to God and focuses on God's call to Jeremiah during the captivity of Jerusalem into the tumultuous times of the last half of the 17th of the seventh century and the first quarter of the sixth century BC came this prophet Jeremiah bearing a word from God for the stubborn people of Judah. The lesson starts out describing how God knew Jeremiah from birth to youth, which emphasizes the certainty of his call. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. These words prove to us that God desires a relationship, not only with a prophet like Jeremiah, but with us. He knows us, each and every one of us, clear down to our DNA, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Before you ever did anything, God set his sights on you. He gives you a new identity. He sees something in you. And so may you hear today from heaven, before you were born, before you breathed, before you even had the opportunity to show off or screw up, God declared, I want you. You're mine. I've chosen you. You belong to me. If this God has chosen you while totally knowing even the worst parts of you, 
then you no longer have to live up to anyone or anything that this world might throw at you. And as most call stories go, Jeremiah objects to what God asks of him. But God says, For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid, for I am with you to deliver you. God delivers. The message Jeremiah was to bring to the people was both difficult and unwelcome during their time in captivity. And God touched his mouth and said, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. And he sent him over the nations to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Yet through all his many challenges, Jeremiah remained faithful and accountable to God. So how do we put ourselves in this story? Most of us might think that we're not special enough to be called by God. Most of us probably feel we are those who are plucked up and pulled down or destroyed and overthrown. The people of Judah and Jerusalem certainly felt plucked up and pulled down, destroyed and overthrown during their captivity. And isn't that what sin does to us? Holding us captive? separated from God. The people were angry and wanted revenge, but it didn't help them exit the captivity of Jerusalem. The exit or deliverance depended on God. It hinged upon the people believing that only God could deliver them, but first they had to turn from their sin and put their trust back in God. Calls for repentance naturally lay out alternative futures. If we repent, then the future will be good. If we do not repent, then the future will not be good. It's our choice. God gave us free will, and that free will holds us captive. Captivity from which only God can deliver us. And he proved that by sending his son Jesus to deliver us from our sin. So how do we start the process of freedom that God so desperately wants us to receive? Let's take a look at our gospel lesson this morning and the story of how Peter committed his greatest sin. First, a little background about Peter. Peter's one of the disciples that we know a lot about. He was Jesus' right-hand man. He was the supporting actor where Jesus plays the lead role. In fact, he's the only other fully formed character in the Gospels besides Jesus. He's referred to almost 200 times in the New Testament more than five times the amount of any other of the 12. He's also known for his epic fail. The first time that we are introduced to Peter, he actually goes by a different name, Simon. Simon is on a boat, fishing. This was the family business, and this was his call, and by all means, his future. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus addresses Peter first as Simon, son of Jonah, Immediately, without doing anything to earn a new name, Jesus declared that Simon will now be Cephas, translated Peter, which means the rock or big boulder. I think it's rather interesting that Jesus changed his name before Peter ever did, even, did anything to earn it. Many times we get it wrong and think that God will only love us, accept us, and help us if we first prove to him that we're worthy of his love and acceptance. 
Some of us go our whole lives fighting for God's approval. But what you need to see is, from the beginning, you don't need to do anything to make God love you. He already does. Even if Peter didn't do anything of note to receive his new identity, certainly he was chosen because of his place in this world, right? Wrong. The more we look into Peter's story, <clears throat> there really wasn't all that much that would have stood out. Acts 4.13 describes Peter as an unschooled and ordinary man. And yet here we have, through this ordinary, unschooled man, a person that would become the rock, the right-hand man of Jesus. After Jesus called Peter to be his disciple, the text says that immediately Peter followed Jesus. This was the sort of guy that Peter was, all in. Peter became the outspoken leader of the disciples. He was a natural-born leader that was never afraid to speak his mind or to make a big move. In fact, Peter, in one of the most famous stories, is actually the only disciple who had the courage to jump out of the boat and walk on water towards Jesus. There was a day that Peter really lived up to his new name, as tensions were rising quickly between Jesus and the Jewish leaders of the day, Jesus took the disciples aside. Matthew 16 tells the familiar story of when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? And how does Simon Peter respond? He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He finally got it right. And on this confession, Jesus assures Peter that he will build his church and that Peter will have a special role in the establishment of God's church. Peter may have been the only human being in the history of the world that Jesus believed in, entrusted, empowered, and had given personal access to. So now, with all that background, we come to our gospel reading for today. Peter the Rock, Jesus' right-hand man, the one who had the courage to jump out of the boat, had flat out denied Jesus at a time when Jesus needed him most, at a time when his friend, his Savior, his teacher, his Lord needed his faithfulness most. Yet he denied Jesus, not just once, not twice, but three times. Where was his courage now? If it were me, three strikes, you're out, but not Jesus. Jesus forgave. Sometimes, even when the best of intentions, the weight of this world falls upon us, sadly, we make decisions that in the moment may feel good, but eventually leave us feeling empty. This is ultimately what sin does. It fills us in the moment, but leaves us empty, separated from God. Peter sinned, and he sinned badly. But just as God saw something in Peter, he sees something in you too. Jesus sees in you what you can be, regardless of what you've done or what other people have said about you. As we said in the beginning of our service today, one of the most offensive things you can say to someone is that they are a sinner. Why is it so offensive? I think if people knew what it really meant, it wouldn't be so shocking. We live in a world 
and in a culture today that likes to tell everyone that they are good just the way they are. We celebrate everyone's uniqueness. We encourage them, you do you. And we are taught to be fully affirming of each person. But in reality, we are all sinful, every one of us. And the worst thing we could do for one another is pretend like we're perfect just the way we are. So here's where it gets difficult. People who don't follow Jesus have different standards to live by. We can't always expect non-Jesus followers to live up to the standards that we pursue. I'm not saying that the way others live is right or that we should celebrate any standard that is other than Jesus, but sometimes we get into trouble when Christians try to hold accountable those who don't know Jesus or even want to follow the standards of Jesus. But if you ask someone who doesn't follow Jesus, and if they are truly honest with themselves, and if you are truly honest with yourself, everyone has their own standards and fail to live up to them. Many of us have been trying to become a better person all of our lives. But have any of you come across anyone in this life that has lied to you or disappointed you more than yourself? If I just do better, keep improving, lose weight, become wealthier, get a better job, a bigger house, everything will be great. Unfortunately, the best version of you will never be good enough for God, and it won't even fully satisfy you. The very best you will not complete you. You'll always find something new about yourself that you don't like. Why? Because you're all sinful. The last thing we should do for one another as we gather as a church family in worship is to be fake and act like we're fully put together. We all walk through those doors with some serious issues and rather than stuffing them down, let's see them for what they are. Let's bring them out to the one that can do something about it. Church has become a social gathering, a country club, a place where people expect to get their spirits lifted a pick-me-up, a recharge on Sunday mornings. But the church is really a place full of sinners, a hospital of sorts where wounds can be healed. But first, we have to rip off the Band-Aid of sin, the one that says, no, I'm good just the way I am. No, you're not. Let's just admit it and get it out in the open. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. So, how do we start the process of freedom that God so desperately wants us to receive? The admission price into freedom begins with an admission of our sin. We'll never be free if we can't admit our weaknesses, our mistakes, and all the ways we'll never measure up. Don't you want to give your best to God who has given you his best? I do. And so the worst thing that anyone could tell me is that I'm perfect, just the way I am. I'm not. It sounds good, but it's a lie that Satan whispers in my ear every day. The truth is God loves me and you just the way you are, but his freedom doesn't leave us just the way we are. God has chosen you, not because of what you've done or will do, but because he loves you. There will still be times where you fall short, where you will fail him, 
but it's what you do with those failures, those mistakes, those sins that makes all the difference. The first step in freedom is to see your need for it. That's what today is all about. The phrase is worth repeating. The admission price into freedom begins when it, with an admission of your sin. In your small group videos this week, you'll hear Zach say, any failure is simply an opportunity to fall into the grace of Jesus. While sin ends many stories in this world, God doesn't write stories that end in sin. He keeps writing new chapters for our lives. Jesus keeps coming to us over and over again. Sin should end our story, but we have a God who keeps on appearing. As Jesus appeared to Peter after his resurrection and forgave him for his sin, so he appears to us over and over again to forgive us. We're not done because God is not done with us. The only way that we can be free is because we have a God who initiates that freedom. A God who is not afraid of sin. A God who is not afraid of the wounds we've caused. A God who died on the cross to save us from all our sins. I'd like to end with the words from a devotional by Charles Spurgeon that I believe truly show what an awesome God we have. Observe the condescension of this fact. Jesus, holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners, who towers above all other men, this man receives sinners. This man, who is no other than the eternal God, before whom angels veil their faces, this man receives sinners. It requires an angel's tongue to describe such a mighty stoop of love. That any of us would be willing to reach the lost is nothing wonderful, they are, after all, our own race, but that he, the offended God, against whom the transgression has been committed, should take upon himself the form of a servant and bear the sin of the many and be willing to receive the worst of sinners. That is marvelous. This man receives sinners, not in order for them to remain sinners, but he receives them in order that he may pardon their sins justify their persons, cleanse their hearts by his purifying word, preserve their souls by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and enable them to serve him, show forth his praise, and have communion with him. Into his heart's love he receives sinners. He takes them from the refuse pile and wears them as jewels in his crown. He snatches them like branches from the fire and preserves them as costly monuments to his mercy. None are so precious in Jesus' sight as the sinners of whom he died, for whom he died. When Jesus receives sinners, he does not have an outdoor reception, no public square where he charitably entertains them in the way men treat passing beggars, but he opens the golden gates of his royal heart and receives the sinner right into himself. He admits the humble penitent into personal union and makes him a member of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. There was never such a reception as this. This fact is certain. Even this very day, he is still receiving sinners. It is a prayer that sinners will receive him. Will you pray with me? Lord, 
We realize we can never receive all you have for us until we understand everything you did for us. Thank you that you loved us enough to wash us clean of all our sins by your own blood. Thank you that you are the living word. You are our savior. You have set us free from the consequences of our own sins, errors, mistakes, and ignorance. And you made us to be beloved children of God. Thank you that receiving your love for us has caused our sins to finally make sense. Thank you that in you we find everything we need for life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us declare our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. With the whole people of God in Christ Jesus, let us pray for the church, those in need, and all of God's creation. Gracious Father, we pray for your holy church. Fill it with truth and peace. Where it is corrupt, purify it. Where it is in error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in need, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunite it. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God of all nations, you have revealed your will to your people and promised your help to us all. We live in times of uncertainty and unrest. Guide the nations of the world into ways of justice and truth that all may live in peace. Help us to hear and to do what you command, that the darkness may be overcome by the truth and power of your light. Lord, in your mercy. Creator God, when you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Bless the land and waters and give the world a plentiful harvest. Let your spirit go forth to renew the face of the earth. As you show us your love and kindness in the bounty of the land and sea, save us from selfish use of your gifts, so that men and women everywhere may give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy. Healer of all burdens, we pray for those who are weary from sin, illness, or grief. We ask that you touch the lives of those we know and love who are in need of healing, courage, and peace especially those we name in our hearts now. Lift them up and give them peace. Deliver them from all that harms them in body, mind, and spirit. Set them free from whatever may threaten their life in you. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, source of every blessing, your generous goodness comes to us anew every day. We ask you to bless those who are celebrating birthdays, wedding anniversaries, and other blessings this week. By the work of your Holy Spirit, lead us to acknowledge your goodness, 
give thanks for your benefits and serve you in willing obedience. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, you have redeemed us from the old life of sin by our baptism into the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Renew us in your Holy Spirit to live in righteousness and true holiness. Draw our hearts to you, guide our minds, fill our imagination, control our wills so that we may be wholly yours. Use us as you will, always to your glory and the welfare of your people. Lord, in your mercy. God of sinners, into your hands we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. closes with a hymn, I Lay My Sins on Jesus. I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. Oh.